Justin. Noah's my co-host and you're listening to ATB Pop. We've been enjoying some of this time off the holidays and uh, I think it's really given me a fresh perspective this year for looking for new music, especially with that last episode we did when we counted down the best songs of 2019. And I kind of wanted to do a special for the decade, but I think we're going to break that up into some plenty of different episodes because there's a lot of topics that we could talk about for the, the past decades, plus all the new stuff that we got going on. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about some of the new music that we've been listening to lately. Noah, you're up first. All right, so I'll probably bring this up more in a uh, another episode because it kind of ties into some of that. But I have recently rediscovered an artist called Poppy. Poppy basically started as kind of a YouTube thing, and then she started ma- releasing music. And it was, as her name would suggest, pop music. Now she started blending in heavy metal, hardcore punk, industrial, new metal, and just about everything else, but still with a lot of the pop sheen, especially on her vocals. And I absolutely love the album she just released. It's called I Disagree. It's such a weird mix of things, but it actually works really well together. You know, she named that album quite um, correct, in my opinion, because I disagree with you on that one. I I, I know I probably just need to spend more time with Poppy, but um, first first listen, I wasn't impressed. Um, I would listen to Billie Eilish before I would listen to Poppy, so that says a lot about the current state of the music right now. I think that... um, her singing style, her vocal style is not quite Billie Eilish, but her music style and the way her music feels to me is just out of sorts. It's kind of chaotic. Maybe I'm getting too old and jumping off this uh, train of the younger music and uh, slowly moving into that boomer mentality. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably a little bit accurate. And not to say that the, that the album is a cohesive whole or anything. I just uh, really enjoy the chaos of it, and the fa- and the fact that there are mul- there are plenty of times where it actually meshes well together amid all of the contrasting and conflicting styles. Actually, I know why I don't really like it because you just you just pointed out the chaos style or how chaotic the album is. Life in this house is chaotic at the moment. I got Lena making noise. I got Klaus making his own noise and they're not meshing well together. Plus whatever's on TV or if I'm trying to listen to something, it just doesn't work in my house. <laughs> and that is kind of summarizes uh, what I hear from Poppy. It's I hear my house. What I've been listening to is new music from a band that hasn't put out a new song in over 20 years. 
and that's stabbing westward. I was extremely excited to wake up one morning and get on my Facebook and see a new song and new video with a new EP all in the same day from stabbing westward. I, I think that yeah, I woke up in the entire house when I saw this post. I was amazed. I, I hit play. It started. I'm like, oh, this sounds like stabbing westward. This is they have, may have not done uh, music in a couple decades, but it's they certainly haven't lost their sound or their edge. And I, I went and quickly got the EP. It was only five tracks, three new songs, two remixes. And each song was pretty good. I liked it. Um, recently, they just did the second video for the songs. And I'm going, okay, you got to tour sometime soon. You got to come down to New Orleans because this is a band that they may have not put out new music in 20 years. But they recently got back together back in 2016. So that's not really recently. It's like three years ago. But they got back together and it was, uh, yeah, four years ago. Noah reminded me that we just turned into 2020. <laughs> and, um, but watching them struggle on Facebook as pretty much like a beginner band uh, from car breakdowns, from playing in gigs and, uh, and, you know, just regular dive bars and types of it's, it was cool to see a band that was very prominent in the early two thousands. I have to basically start all over again. And, um, and the only reason why they reunited was for their 30th year and their 30th anniversary tour. And so it, it was pretty cool. To, like I said, to follow them on Facebook, I didn't think we'd ever get a new album out of them though, or at least n new songs. Is there a, a full album coming or is it just the EP for now? I think it's just going to be the EP from now because they did have to fight somebody who was selling um, unauthorized merchandise. So they, they're still getting bits and pieces of their band back in motion again, like, like their PR stuff, their merch and all the other things. So they still got a few struggles to do, but if they drop one, I think it'll be late later in the year. Cause from the looks of it, when they were talking about CD sales or selling a CD, it looks like they're printing their own CDs and mailing them out. So I don't think they're officially with the label, but that could be in the works. Yeah, so they're doing super DIY, like you said, beginner band stuff. That's that, that's that's really interesting, actually. That's really trippy. It, it is, especially for a band that's been established for a long time, went on a break, and then get back together and realize, really, well, we're not quite the Beatles. And uh, so... We, we we died very well in the popularity, so we got to rebuild it all over again. It's just us old people going, yeah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you started talking about Stabbing Westward, I had literally no idea what you were talking about the first couple times around, so. Well, you should have remembered. We, we talked about it in an alternative episode. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. When you first brought them up back then, I had no idea what you were talking about. I, I, I know who they are now because you brought them up a few times, but yeah, I had... Never heard of them the first, when you had first brought them up, and you know it's got you know it's got to be exciting for me to be talking about them versus the new so single from the Federal Empire, which I'll say for another episode because that song is amazing. I, I I'm going yes, 2020 is off to a great start. Yeah, one of the things I'm kind of trying to make, I, I won't say a resolution of, but one of the things I'm really trying to do for 2020 is get into new rock music and uh, like real rock music, not alternative. Cause I spent most of 2019 listening to either stuff from previous years or like hip hop, R and B and alternative more than anything. 
and obviously uh, pop music. I mean, the stuff I listened to the most in 2019, aside from, according to Spotify, the thing I listened to the most in 2019 was 21 Pilots' album from 2018. But aside from uh, stuff from previous years, it was like uh, Billie Eilish, Post Malone, uh, Kanye. It was all non-rock music for the most part. So I'm trying to find new good rock and maybe even metal uh, that's coming out this year to try and listen to. I have a very similar resolution, like I said, from when we did the countdown and I was talking about how the, that my list didn't change from what we found in the beginning of the year towards the, and there was a lot of great stuff that did come out at the very end of the year that I was like, man, I, I really should have done my homework a bit more because these songs could have been, I could have changed out for what we counted down on our list. And like you, I, I feel that um, I need to spend a little bit more time with uh, the rock side because you brought up to me the whole, well, I think rock's going to be dead in a few years. And I'm going, okay, I, I could see that. I could see that. But then I listen to Gary Clark Jr. I listen to Bruno Mars on uh, Ed Sheeran's song again. And I'm just, I, I don't know. There's got to be something out there. And from starting to look around, there is a lot of young talent out there that, I'm excited to see and can't wait to talk about. Yeah, my main issue with rock these days, and specifically like guitar-based rock music, because to me that's always going to be real rock, is it either a lot of it either sounds like pastiche of previous decades, and it just sounds like oh they listen to Van Halen or oh they listen to Nirvana, or it's and not to pick on Saint Vincent, but it's very. There's a guitar in there, but it's intentionally being distorted to sound not like a guitar a lot of the time, which is something she does a lot of for her modern-sounding uh, guitar records. And judging by the albums that did get, uh, that did go to the top of the chart, Slipknot, Tool, you see in the trend is going to be, if rock is alive, it's only inside heavy metal right now, because Alternative will bring it out, but they kind of fluctuate between that artistic sound and then blues guitars mixed in there. So there's not really the, the old vanguard of rock that we we're used to. Yeah, no, as far as modern uh, guitar based rock albums, aside from like you're talking about the heavy metal stuff, I think Gary Clark Jr. is the closest thing to a uh, truly modern sounding guitar album. There is with uh, the one he did with this land uh, last year, the whole album. It sounds it has the elements of old school rock music and classic rock and blues and all that. But it's mixed in with modern stuff and it sounds like a cohesive whole. Whereas uh, like some of the Imagine Dragon stuff, for example, that use guitars kind of just feels like a guitar slapped on top of a top uh, top 40 pop song. Which nothing not to say that. Guitar and pop music is bad, per se, but it doesn't sound like a new take on rock music. It just kind of sounds like smashing some things together, which I think a lot of that's because of the fact that everybody kind of pre-constructs the song and then records the parts rather than jamming it out and creating something new. That could be part of it. The the not working in a studio to say, Hey, let's try this out. See how it doesn't mesh with my, uh, see how my guitar meshes with the, the keyboard or the synthesizer or, Hey, let's hear this drum beat. Really get this old fashioned drum solo down. 
Yeah, and that's why one of the things I've actually been listening to a good bit lately was uh, Five Seconds of Summer's live recordings at the vault because it very much is done like an old school, just guys jamming in the studio, recording it live on the floor kind of thing, and turn some of their songs that are okay in the studio into really awesome tracks live with the interplay between the guitar and the bass and the drums. And the fact that their lead singer actually can sing really well without auto-tune or studio tricks, which I wasn't 100% sure if that was the case until now. That's good to hear for me, because I know last episode I was talking about needed a little more info on them to really start checking them out. We're really getting there. and um, So let's get into the meat and potatoes of what this episode's about. We've been talking a lot about rock music, so obviously we're going to talk about the the one thing that everybody knows rock music for. And no, it's not the lead singers. It's the Guitar World recently released the top 20 guitarists of the decades. These are the 20 guitars they feel are the best of the decade. And I have to admit, out of the 20, there was three, four people I might have actually known. So it really shows that I know my bands more than I know their individual members. So I think this is a great list to start off the year with, a great um, best of the decade, because I have mentioned before about wanting to revisit, say, a top 100 guitarist list ever, and this is a great start. Um, Noah, I'll let you start mentioning some of the ones that are in there just to kind of give you an idea of who made this list. All right, so with Guitar World's list, I'm just going to start at the top because those are the most interesting ones to me. Um, and with their number one man, Mark Tremonti, which is uh, most famous for his work with Creed back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I guess that would be. But uh, Mark Tremonti in recent years has become most well-known for his solo work that he's done and his work with the band Alter Bridge, which none of that's really anything I ne- ever really got super into. But Alter Bridge are an incredible band between Mark Tremonti's guitar and Miles Kennedy's vocals, which... But they, they put him on the list mainly because of his uh, of how prolific he is, especially as a riff writer and a songwriter. To me, he's never been one of my favorite guitarists. He's always been one of those guys I kind of respect what he does, but it's not really my thing. There are a, a lot of uh, heavy guitarists, both in rock and metal worlds, who will cite him as one of their main influences when you start talking about guys that uh, influence their riff writing. I would kind of put him in a similar category as Wes Borland, as a guy who his uh, guitar playing is probably way better than anything, especially his original band ever did. In the case of Wes Borland being with Limp Biscuit versus Tremonti with Creed, the guitar is usually the best part of those songs, as far as I'm concerned. And both of them have been very influential to uh, younger guitarists coming up, in the, uh, specifically in the last decade. So they have Tremonti at number one. I kind of disagree with that just because he's not one of my favorite guitarists, but as far as being influential, he definitely is uh, one of the top ones of the decade. Other than being familiar with his work from Creed, uh, I did my extra homework on him, and I, I I don't really remember Alter Bridge all that much. I don't know how much I've ever listened to him. If I have, uh, I, I, there's always been background noise. But I got to check out some of his uh, instructional videos that he did for Loudwire. And he seemed to be pretty good on instruction-wise and pretty thorough. And you're showing to keep track. He was um, playing one of his uh, riffs 
when he was telling you to count out the beats, the one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, and then he went to seven. He was telling you to count that, and the way the fingers were moving across the frets and everything was pretty cool, and the way he was working with it and made me go, okay, I do want to learn from him, and kind of made me go, I'm really slacking on what I need to be doing to learn to play guitar, which comes down into one of the factors of why Guitar World placed him so high, which is the influence of the next generation of guitarists. And so I guess that's why they put him at number one. And the fact they said that he's sold over 500, oh, I'm sorry, over 50 million records over his career. So that, you know, he's got the, the generational reach, the cultural relevance, even if it's probably uh, waning at this moment. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, nothing to take away from him. He just, his, the stuff he's done has never really caught my ear much, but as a as a technical guitar player, and yeah, I forgot he has done a lot of teaching and instructional stuff, like the the old school eighty shredders of yore. He definitely has a lot of the influence, a lot of the inspiration of uh, a younger guitarist. Going to their number two guitarist on the list is one that, if I was making this list, I'd probably put him at number one, and that is Tosin Abasi, the guitarist of Animals as Leaders, as well as. I believe he's done some solo stuff at this point. seen he's got some solo workout um he's definitely has a lot of instructional videos what i find funny was he's talking about how he learned he would go to his music store and buy a dvd of whatever guitarist was there and he'd go back home and he would learn how to play it which he showed uh i want to say his name was matt sweeney how each of those videos influenced how he became a a guitar player and how he even composes music these days and uh, it was truly fun to watch him do his thing. And the other guy, I guess, was supposed to be a guitarist. I didn't do the, that part of the homework to look to see who he was. But he he simply couldn't keep up with Tosin. It, it, it was just amazing. And the sound that Tosin creates, I, I do agree with you if, you know, if you're basing it on shaping the sound of guitar or preaching the gospel of the guitar. Tosin is the number one guy for that because his sound is truly ethereal. I've never heard a guitar sound like that. And then incorporate the, the heavy metal riffs or at throwing a little jazz in there. I mean, it's very clean and I think I really enjoy a clean guitar sound. Yo, Tosin along with somebody who's a little bit lower on the list, uh, Misha Mansoor pretty much, the two of them singularly cre- created a genre known as colloquially as gent, but has basically been brought to be progressive metal at this point, modern progressive metal, which features base, which a lot of times ends up being jazz with uh, heavy metal distortion on it. And the thing with Tosin is that what he does on guitar is stuff that I've never seen anybody be able to do. I've seen plenty of people that can do some of the things he does. And can do different ones, but he's the only one I've ever seen who puts all of it together with elements of funk bass with the way he slaps and pops on the low strings of his guitar. Which, by the way, he also is a dude who has popularized and made it to where you actually they actually have standard production models of eight string guitars. 
Because when he started, he basically was the only one other than a band from the 80s and 90s called Meshuga who was using eight-string guitars. And what he's done with them is completely different than what anybody has done before, turning them into basically a, a, a device to do jazz fusion harmonies, uh, heavy metal riffing, beautiful lead guitar. I mean, the, du- the dude does all kinds of incredible stuff. He pl- uh, will do uh, finger tapping, two-hand tapping stuff that turns it into a, basically a piano or a harpsichord. What, the stuff he does on guitar is something I've never seen anybody be able to do, and I don't think anybody will ever really be able to do and get down everything to the level that he has. I've never seen an eight-string guitar before. I'm always just kind of used to the six. When he said he started learning on a seven, and then he saw the eight, and he was like, I got to play it on eight. And uh, he, he's ever, and he's played that ever since. And even in that one video I was talking about, he was playing on his signature eight string and uh, just watching what he does. You can't believe that kind of noise comes out of the guitar. I mean, that is some, some beautiful stuff. And I, he makes, he's one of those artists that makes me want to go see him in concert, even though I know it'd be one of those kind of uh, mixed reaction for the audience. Be like, yeah, I'm going to thump to the heavy metal or, Oh, I'm just going to sit back and chill to that little, that little rhythm there. And that in a nutshell is the modern progressive metal thing. It's a mixture of these clean ambient passages with these bone crushing, ridiculously heavy parts. And the other thing with Tosin to me makes him very influential is not only did he pretty much popularize the H string, but he actually has his own company now. Uh, a bossy concepts that's building guitars and I saw not even just with the eight string, but with a lot of other uh, design elements, he's really pushing forward uh, innovation in building modern guitars with rather it be uh, ergonom- more ergonomic shapes that are more comfortable to play or the extended range with extra strings or having a guitar that has different string lengths, depending on where it is on the guitar so that it stays in tune better. Like he's he's doing all kinds of things just with the building side of it and the of uh, advancing the build and the uh, construction of modern guitars in a way that nobody else really has. So he does have a very strong case to be the number one or the best guitarist of the decade. And why would you think Guitar World would put Tremonti over him if he's got because he's father in innovation? He's gonna have the influence. I mean, what else more could he do to surpass Tremonti? I would say that the main thing is that Tremonti has had mainstream appeal and success that, honestly, very few other guitarists on this list have had. Now, I don't know how much of that was in the previous decade. I think a lot of that uh, came in the 2000s and the 90s. But as far as mainstream success, the only other artist on here that has a better case than Tremonti is probably uh, like a John Mayer who has crossed into straight up pop. Well, if Tosin's got the strong case for number one, the number three has a strong case for number two, and that's Gary Clark Jr. Uh, I said this on Facebook when I shared the article originally that I thought Gary Clark Jr. should have been a little bit higher. I thought he should have been two and Tosin should have been three, but that's until I discovered Tosin a bit more. <laughs> But um, from what we've covered on Gary Clark Jr., especially from Come Together and This Land, the two biggest songs that we've played the most, 
it, it that's further proof that he belongs in this top three and has a very strong case for that number two. Um, especially from listening to other albums and listen to other things that he's done on YouTube. I, I I've just been enamored with Gary Clark jr. And I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass for not going to see him when he came to Lafayette was like last year or the year before that. I think it was the same year Jack came to New Orleans. Yeah, I think that was 2017, I want to say. Yeah, that that had been a hell of a show to see live, absolutely. The thing with with Gary is that while I sit here and say how influential Tremonti and Tosin have been, Gary Clark Jr. is more of somebody that I hope becomes influential of the next generation. Because the, the way that he's kind of distilled the classic rock and blues and everything into a modern context is absolutely gorgeous. And I hope that more people follow in his footsteps to a bit. I mean, they kind of talk about in the article com- comparisons between him and Clapton, Hendrix, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, but he also blends in modern day hip hop and R&B and stuff. Like they said, he's collaborated with everyone from Alicia Keys to Childish Gambino to the Foo Fighters, which... I mean, that's that's pretty much a mix of his style right there. It's especially what he's done with this land, where there's the R&B, the old school soul, old school blues, hip hop. I mean, just everything, but in a very cohesive mix, not in the kind of genreless sludge that a lot of modern music turns into. pretty good and moving on to number four now this is what i would consider a front woman for a band this is the one that i would say lena if you want to become a guitarist and lead you need to be nita strauss because that was amazing i was i hit the floor with with her heavy metal her iron maiden sounding riffs which as you said she was part of an all tribute all female tribute band for iron maiden that was just amazing. She's got a new album. It's straight instrumental with just her and the drums. And for a four-minute song, I swear it sounds like it'd be a 12 minutes, that it was not four minutes long. I mean, it is a an experience within just one song. It's Moody Blues, Days of Future Past. And you start off the day, you end the day within four minutes. It's just what she tells in one song is amazing. Yeah, she's very much is a, th- a throwback to the 80s sh- uh, shred guitar gods, uh, specifically the ones she gets compared to a lot is Steve I and uh, Joe Satriani, which, yeah, she has a lot of similarity to them with the the different, uh, the use of uh, complicated music theory and, di- and interesting uh, modes and uh, scales uh, and just her ability to shred on the guitar. She uses similar gear to both of them, being a uh, Ibanez and Dorsey and using DiMarzio pickups, just like Steve I, and I believe Satriani uses DiMarzio's as well. And she's played with Steve I plenty of times, done lots of collaborations with him, at least live, if not in the studio. She is, to me, uh, on this list, if you have guys like Tosin and Gary Clark Jr., who are the 
guys pushing the guitar into new modern context. She is someone who is really keeping it rooted in classic rock and classic metal, evidenced by the fact that she's currently playing Sidewoman to Alice Cooper. That is pretty cool. And even from what this article says, upstage and Alice Cooper at times. I say listening to uh, her music, forget Lizzie Hale. You want to be Nita Strauss. Forget Lizzie Hale. Oh, absolutely. And if you follow her on social media, you can see how much of a force, how much of a force of personality and just a character she is. And I, I kind of want to check out some of the other stuff that where she was showing or her tutorials or her, how she's influencing others to learn the guitar. I think she's mentioned where she's got different workshops or camps that she does for people around the world. So that, that it's really cool to see not to really see an ego, but to see, hey, I want to influence the next generation of guitarists, and we're probably going to see a bunch of young girls running around shredding music, and that will be a sight to see. I, I can't wait to see the next time a Mandeville Songwriter Festival happens, and the girls are not playing acoustic guitar, singing some other country song that they have, but start just shredding. I've already seen it with some of the people on YouTube. Like, there's uh, one girl that I follow on YouTube who her entire channel is basically her started as her doing a one year journey of learning the guitar. And the majority of it is inspired by Anita Strauss. Like, that's, that's her guitar hero. That's the one who inspired her to pick it up and start shredding. And I'm, I'm sure there's got to be plenty of others out there who uh, have seen Anita shred and are like, okay, a girl can do that. And, and that's kind of one of the things, without being too obvious or over the top with it, that she clearly has uh, made a point of trying to do, is influence a lot of girls to uh, pick up the guitar and start shredding. And she does it the best way she can, through example. Show that it can be done, and not just uh, Robert Palmer standing in the background looking like you're playing a guitar, but no, get up front, shred, show it, uh, run up and down that fretboard. Heck, running up and down the stage. And unlike a lot of shredders, much just like Steve I and Joe Satriani before, she she knows how to uh, play a melody and she knows how to uh, actually go somewhere with all those notes. Rounding out Guitar World's top five, we have another one that's kind of in a similar situation to Tremonti with being a dude who's been doing it forever. So he's immensely inspirational and influential. And that is John Petrucci of Dream Theater. Dream Theater. I went listening to them, and that's that's a pretty uh, accurate name. Yeah, in a lot of ways, they were kind of a forerunner of the modern progressive metal, uh, with the whole dichotomy between ambient and really heavy and crushing riffs. But like I told you before we started recording, the best way I can describe Dream Theater is heavy metal rush. And with Petrucci, his style is kind of. It's a mix of the 80s shred and then really melodic lead guitar. Like he, He's one of these guys who knows every scale in the book and knows when to pull out the right ones to give you these really exotic-sounding guitar parts that don't sound like a typical 12-bar blues or 
you know, just turn all the gain up and play blues licks really fast like Van Halen. Like, he, he has virtuoso tendencies when it comes to guitar. And as you found out, is a really excellent teacher. Well, yeah, the video I was watching, he was talking about uh, writing a song and you know, or he was listening to somebody who was writing. He goes, man, you know, you really should play this on a or tuned down guitar. You know, like tuned down to what was C. And uh, he said, yeah, I got up, turned around, went to my uh, to my wall and pulled out that one particular guitar. So he's he, they were making a good joke about how he's got several guitars and how he has them tuned. And he he knows which one he wants. And then they played that particular riff and it was man i like the way you you did that and he goes yeah yeah it's just kind of how i hear it in my head i hear somebody playing and you go well this is how you fix it and that was pretty cool to watch so i the list is growing of who i want to learn from and it's going to be overwhelming before too long because it's going who do i pick first well the thing with him too that i've seen is he is very humble about teaching people things he knows he he's very aware of the fact that he is a virtuoso guitarist, but he doesn't have an ego about it. I saw a video of him with Matt Heafy, who's the lead singer and rhythm guitarist for uh, metal band Trivium, and is looks like basically like baby's first guitar lesson of him teaching him how to do uh, sweep picking, which is a fairly advanced uh, technique that a lot of shredders use to get across the strings quicker. And I mean, no no ego, no uh, ex- talking down to him or anything. He's just do it like this and giving him tips on things he can do to get it down quicker. And like every good guitar teacher showing you that you have to start off being able to do it slow and then get it faster. And just, he's, he's one of these guys who is perpetually the coolest dude in, uh, in the room. The other thing too, Petrucci along with Steve, I were the, uh, some of the first guys to popularize the seven string guitar in heavy metal. Whereas previously, they pretty much had only been used by blues guy or uh, jazz musicians. The other thing I find humbling is what he said inside uh, the Guitar World article itself. He's been playing guitar for over 30 years, and he still says, I'm just a student of the guitar. There's still that sense of wonder, and that's what keeps it fresh. And I think that's why, or somebody like him that's been in for a while, is still ranked in the top five for the best of the decade. Because when you're keeping it fresh, you're still innovating. You're not getting burned out, and you're still wanting to try things. And it's a very good mentality to have is, I'm just a student. Now we're going to start skipping around on the list. Uh, we, we liked the top five. We thought that was a very, I thought that was a very strong top five. Um, some of these other artists, like, you know, you've got one that you don't really respect at all. As a guitarist, so we're never going to mention him. So we're going to go on to their number seventh, number seven, which was Guthrie Govan. And uh, watching that video on Guitar World, he was showing off his pedal board, and I, I was shocked at the number of pedals he has on there. And each of them has a different sound, does a different thing, creates a completely different effect. And I'm sitting here going, "How do you keep that all in your head when you perform in a show? To know, oh, I got to hit this one, or I got to go to this side here for this song." I mean that that's a lot, and they they consider him Professor Shred. I, I could see why just based on that one video. Yeah, Guthrie is probably one of the most versatile guys on this list, uh, up right up there with Tosin because I've seen him do like reggae and uh, funk gigs because he does a lot of studio stuff and a lot of like sideman stuff where he's just okay. I'm gonna be the guitarist in this group for this gig. He's done, I mean, he's done everything. He did uh, touring with uh, Hans Zimmer on live, as his live guitarist in the orchestra. I mean, they list off in here, prog rock, 
full-on shred guitar, jazz fusion, blues, and my personal favorite, the heavily affected Bizarre Excursions, which I believe is what he does a lot of with those pedals, with uh, reverberations and echoes and modulations and stuff like that. I still like the way they ended his little segment because you, you you left off the one part after affected bizarre excursions and it was and pretty much every other style known to man and beast. Wow, that's a hell of a thing to say about a guitarist. I mean, what's he doing with those sounds? Is he growling? Is he making? Well, I think he did make a duck quack in that video with one of his boards. That was pretty uh, pretty interesting. Wouldn't surprise me with him. So moving on on the rest of this list, there's some on here that are interesting. Polyphia's, uh, I don't know much about them. They had them at number eight. Their guitarists do some cool stuff, but they're not anything that I'm too familiar with. Yeah, but when you get to their 10th person, you, you've gushed about John Mayer for many a time. Yeah, and John Mayer to me kind of, not only, I mean, he's an excellent guitarist. He is one of these guys who is a a great blues guitarist, jazz guitarist kind of guy. Obviously has ridiculous music theory chops from going to Berkeley, but he's also the dude who has managed to put all that into actually getting played on the radio and uh, being able to cross over into pop music, which is why I kind of put him in a little mini category with some of the, I consider honorable mentions of the decade, of these pop stars who have kept the guitar relevant in a more mainstream context. People like Taylor Swift, uh, Ed Sheeran, and then most recently in the last couple of years, Post Malone. Main difference, though, is while all three of them are predominantly acoustic guitar strummers, John Mayer is a electric guitar lead guitarist out here. I wouldn't say shredding, but playing tasty blues licks and doing a really good job of it. He, to me, is kind of the one of the biggest guitar heroes of the last decade in a lot of ways because of what of what he's done to keep guitar around in more of a mainstream context. Well, according to the guitar world, he's the best Jerry Garcia since Jerry himself, so that says a lot. Potential controversial opinion here, but I'm not a big fan of the Grateful Dead. I kind of like the versions of the songs with John Mayer better than the originals in a lot of cases. Performances of him doing stuff with them, and it's like, yeah, I like this, but anytime I listen to the original Grateful Dead, it was, it was all right. It seemed like it was trying to be something for the sake of being something a lot of the time. I think I like the idea more of Grateful Dead than the Grateful Dead itself. I couldn't tell you a song title, but if I heard it, I would be, oh, that's Grateful Dead right there. I probably couldn't even do that. number 12 on this list to be an interesting pick i think she should have been a little higher maybe she's not as on the influential side maybe she's just more cultural relevance for what she is and that's saint vincent uh we know jack toured with one of her guitars so she does have her own signature i find her music hit or miss 
but it's consistent. It's got a consistent sound. It's more the the poppier side of alternative music, and she's definitely a good counterweight to Nita. You know, it's not as hard, but you still got some uh, some artistic creativeness in there. You know, Saint Vincent, Annie Clark. Uh, she is, like you said, a good counterpoint to Nita, where Nita is firmly grounded in old school shred guitar and classic rock. Saint Vincent is one of these ones who is really trying to push the guitar into new territory. I mean, all you have to do is look at the design of her signature guitar, the the way that it's shaped in the appointments and colors and all that, and you can tell that she's not uh, beholden to classic rock and influences of the past. And the kind of sounds that she gets out of her guitar sometimes remind me of uh, like Matt Bellamy from Muse or even Jack White with some of the fuzzed-out guitar she does but it's usually in more of a electronic or uh, modern pop kind of context, which is kind of why I feel like she should be higher on this list, because much like Nita Strauss, I have seen a good number of like singer-songwriter and uh, experimental-minded guitarists, uh, female guitarists, who are really inspired by what St. Vincent has done. There's always something interesting about her guitar playing. It's not always in the kind of style that you would expect. It's always interesting, and a lot of times it's really good. Sometimes it sounds like it's intentionally off-key or disjointed as part of the effect, which is kind of lends itself to her artsy aesthetic that she has. She definitely shows that you don't have to wear black leather the entire time. You can wear bright pastel blues, pinks, oranges. Uh, she definitely gives a different vibe, and you say guitarist and artist, much like you would say Prince was. Yeah, honestly, that's a lot of, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, that's a lot of the vibe that I get from her, where she just likes to experiment and try things just to see how they sound. A lot like uh, the experimentation that Prince did, which leads to some of her music being nigh unlistenable for anything other than the experience. Whereas some of the stuff is just pure pop music and is really good at that. Definitely rank her higher as far as influence and certainly ability, because she actually has some pretty good like jazz and blues chops mixed in with the interesting and weird uh, stuff that she likes to do as well. So the rest of the list, interesting ones on there for me. Um, Jason Richardson, who's he's big in the progressive metal scene. He he is a guy I've seen a lot of the people in the modern metal, progressive metal scene talk about as being influential. Same kind of thing as Misha Mansoor from Periphery, although he is, him and Tosin are basically like the godfathers of the modern progressive rock genre. And some of the other ones that I'm seeing on the list are the ones that um, seem to be either on their way out or not as influential anymore because they're just getting older. And that was uh, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, and uh, Trey Anastasio. All three have been in the uh, scene for on the scene for a long, long time. And I guess just their their relevance is starting to wane that they're not 
they can't innovate as much because the new people or the new guard is starting to take over and really do that innovation. What I would say with Vi and Satriani is that they are just as influential to the new guard as anybody else because they've they have been the ones who have embraced the uh the new musicians, the guys like Tosin. And rather than trying to hold on to their little piece of, of uh land and their version of the genre, they have been more than open to uh experimenting and playing with uh the, the new kids as well, which has kept them from from turning into a heavy metal grandpa that nobody uh, really wants to listen to anymore. Which is always a good thing because you know when they were getting started in the business, there was probably a lot of backstabbing, a lot of holding them back intentionally. Oh, I'm not going to let you play this uh, nice solo. You're just going to be back here, strum a rhythm. With, with Steve Vai, I can tell you he benefited more than probably anybody else from having a guy who would just pretty much let him do what what he needed to do as long as it fit. He got he got his first major gig when he was twenty, I think either twenty or twenty one years old as a touring guitarist with uh, Frank Zappa. So yeah, that pretty much is the the meat and potatoes, good parts of the guitar world list. Like we said, we pretty much agree with the top five, maybe not the order per se. I would personally rank St. Vincent probably right up there, if not top five, certainly top ten. I think John Mayer and Steve I probably could be a little higher as well. I, I would have swapped Bonamusa with uh with St. Vincent in the heart, the number six. I, I would have put I would have put St. Vincent in the top ten. Yeah, definitely. I would, and I would still have Steve I up there because of both his just everlasting influence, as well as the fact that he is one of these guys, like I said, with uh, Tosin and Saint Vincent, some of the others who really pushes forward a lot of the design of of the guitar. Steve I to me would have been at least top fifteen, pushing into the top ten. I think if I went back and looked at the list, I could probably swap out somebody out of the top ten that I didn't really hear of. Maybe like Polypha. So that's Guitar World's list. To close out this episode, we're going to go over some guitarists who maybe they're not top 20 of the decade or something that Guitar World would put on their list, but they're guitarists that we believe should at least get an honorable mention before we close out this episode. I only have one honorable mention because this list pretty much, going back through listening, and and that's Bruno Mars. Because I have to say, when I first heard Bruno Mars, I laughed at him. You know, I'll catch a grenade for you. I mean, come on. What what part of that is going to say a serious pop artist? Then Uptown Funk came out, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute here. And then his tribute to Prince. And that was started the shift from laughing at Bruno Mars to, oh, my God, I might become a fan of this guy. And the final transformation into that was Blow. I, I couldn't believe that that was him on guitar. I couldn't believe that was him on keyboards, the drum, you know, everything in there. I was like, what? Really? That's Bruno Mars? Well, guess what? Bruno Mars fan. And I think that um, that had he done more guitar, he might have actually made this list if he'd done more guitar music over the decade. 
Yeah, Bruno's the type of artist who kind of annoys me at times because he's so dead set on the popular music thing that a lot of his musicianship kind of falls to the wayside. He's the type of guy who, maybe not quite as talented as Prince, but could very well do music in the vein of Prince with his ability to play multiple instruments from piano, guitar, drums, etc. And obviously his skill as a vocalist, but instead he kind of goes for that R&B, soul singer, modern pop star kind of thing. But to his credit, that music is usually pretty good as well. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you. It's tough to sit there and hide what you're doing or to hide the talent because you want to be a R&B, hip-hop, pop star, whatever. And I, I think that you really should just um, show what you got. I mean, another one, a similar category with Bruno would be Ed Sheeran, who in recent years has even kind of stepped away from the guitar-playing, singer-songwriter, folky guy to being just kind of attempting to be a pop star now and doing songs that are just like him singing over a beat or whatever or even attempting to be a rapper. Another artist I think that would have, another guitarist that would have been in that list had the band stayed relevant for the entire decade instead of going, oh, we're going to get a new album, we're going to get a new album. And that's Tool's guitarist, Adam Jones. Uh, from what we heard on Fear Inoculum, he's got the skills, but he just doesn't have everything else. He didn't have the influence, the cultural relevance. Uh, like I said, Tool just waited, what, eight, nine years? You know, it was 2011 was when they said they could have released that album. So I think that really cut into him making into that list. Yeah, and I can tell you from watching like metal guys and rock guys on YouTube or interviews or whatever that Adam Jones is fairly influential on a lot of guys, especially from the early stuff with Tool. So yeah, I think you're right. If they had been more consistent over the decade, he probably would have been on that list. Some of the ones that I look at, though, are some of the, the mainstream guys in the more alternative rock scene. And the big one for me is um, Dan Arbach with the Black Keys, who's kind of taken Jack White's role from the early 2000s and just kind of ran with it being that influential garage rock, everybody's trying to sound like him, get that fuzz guitar kind of sound going. And getting that basically getting that seventies throwback vibe going, which you can hear in everything from Portugal the Man and El King to even some stuff still on the radio today. Of course, we all know I've said many times that Jack to me was always white stripes until I met you and then learned, well, Jack was in other bands. So I, I could see why that's why Jack's not on that list, because because other than you because know, everybody and their mama knows Seven Nation Army and that's yeah, I'd agree that even though Jack is one of my favorite guitarists and his other projects have been influential to me at least, that in general his influence is more felt in the 2000s. And Dan Arbach would be that, that torchbearer for the 2010s of that kind of style. Because uh, I mean, I've heard Hozier, or KT Tunstall, and others either directly or indirectly referencing uh, Dan Arbach and his style and his guitars and all that. And of course, the other thing that. I, especially on new and uh, beginning guitarists of the last decade, one of the biggest influences naturally has been YouTube with guys like uh, Marty Schwartz or Rob Chapman or whoever who either do guitar lessons or do a lot of informative stuff about guitar gear and kind of 
I think that's shaped a lot of people, myself included, taste in guitar and understanding of the instrument and effects pedals and all of that. I agree yeah. with that because you had all the ones that, uh, all these talented kids that were trying to get their break, but they were putting up their own tutorials on how to play guitar. Hey, play like, um, you could learn to play this song from me. And they were pretty instructional. I mean, could you look up, learn to play guitar? You have quite a bit to choose from on YouTube. And, uh, that's one way of showing your skill because you're showing that you have the technique. You can, you can do, you can duplicate a sound. The only thing that they they're lacking to show uh, is their music theory or even music composition. Well, that's the other side of the coin to the tutorial informational YouTube guitarists is the just straight up musicians who are posting their music and compositions. There's a lot of artists where you can see the influence of Tosin Abasi on YouTube with people like Sarah Longfield and Yvette Young who do a lot of the two-hand tapping stuff. Uh, in general, these days, they both lean more towards the clean, ambient passages stuff that uh, Tosin and Progressive Metal uses, but it's a branching off of that style and taking it in different directions. And you can see a lot of musicians on YouTube who are pretty influential with their style because of how many young people watch YouTube. And the thing that I really like with the way YouTube has worked and other avenues besides that is that with the internet basically allowing the destabilization of the music industry, pretty much given to the point where anybody can do it now, there's this growing middle class of musicians. You have people who, like Samurai Guitarist on YouTube, who basically he's a songwriter, a musician, who through his YouTube videos, he's able to make a living by playing guitar. It's not the kind of living that you would have made in the 70s as a world-famous guitarist, but it's a living that he can afford to have a house and eat off of. And there's a lot of those now. I mean, to the point where you have people who are able to start companies based off of their YouTube following. Guys like Rob Chapman or Ola England who have started complete guitar companies that basically came out of their YouTube channel, allowing them to continue to make a living off of guitar in more ways than one. Yeah, but that, that sums up the top 20 guitarists of the decade. Um, there's a lot of great music that came out of that list. And I really enjoyed listening to even the ones that I didn't know who they were. And I, I feel that that was always the root of our, our podcast that we would find these musicians. And sometimes I think we might've lost that, but this is kind of a great way to start 2020 to see these artists and be able to build on for the year. To close out, if I'm making my top five guitarists of the decade list, number one, Tosin Abasi. Dude's inspired pretty much an entire generation of YouTube guitarists and has pushed the design of the guitar forward in a way nobody else really has. Number two, Gary Clark Jr. Dude's kept blues rock alive and kept blues guitar alive and, and has incorporated into modern sounding music in a way no one else has. Number three, St. Vincent, similar reasons to Tosin Abasi with a little bit of the pushing the design of guitars forward as well as being fairly inspirational to, I've uh, seen a lot of female guitarists who cite her, and also just bringing guitar into a very modern context and doing really interesting things with it. Number four, John Mayer, at this point, elder statesman of uh, blues rock. He made waves when he uh, got his new guitar, PRS, Everything he does tends to uh, excite and uh, perplex the guitar community, and guy just makes good records. Number five, Nita Strauss. It's inspirational to a lot of people, 
not just because she's female, but because she is an amazing guitarist and a badass shredder. That's a good list. I, I'll agree with it. <laughs> it's just, just seeing everybody that was in that list and seeing how their influence was through the decade. It, it's, like I said, it's a very strong list. Uh, not as controversial as the um, top 50 song rock songs that Billboard put up, but that's for another conversation. Last thing before we wrap up, out of people on this list today, who do you think might be on the top 10, top 20 list for the 2020s decade? I think it'll be Tosin. Tosin will definitely move up to that number one spot. Um, with everything that you said, the innovation side, uh, I don't think he's going to grab that popularity, but he'll still have the influence because... He's creating new equipment. He's pushing the guitar into new realms. Uh, H-string will, will probably start trending in 2020 more than it more than what we're seeing. Uh, and I think that'll be all part of him. Yeah, I would agree with Tosin because he's kind of becoming the, the face of hard rock and metal for a lot of people now. Um, just because of the potential for crossover, I would, I would say St. Vincent and Gary Clark Jr. are probably the other two who had the biggest chance to stick around or even get higher on the list. Maybe Nita Strauss, because with her guitar goddess uh, background, she could potentially be the, like, oh, she has a guest solo on this ridiculously popular uh, song all of a sudden kind of deal. And then, of course, the flip side of all of this is that by 2030, the guitar might not even be a thing anybody cares about anymore. With the way that the the sample pad, drum machine, basically computer workstation, and the ukulele have pretty much replaced the guitar as the popular instrument. Now, if you got somebody who wants to start learning an instrument, it's probably a ukulele, not an acoustic guitar. And everybody, myself included, wants to make fat lo-fi hip-hop beats these days. That sounds like a new. That sounds like another episode of ATB Pop. So let's go ahead and wrap up this episode because we've talked for quite a bit about the twenty best guitarists of the world. Well, we only picked out several of them in the past decade. And great list. We we think there's some some definite adjustments need to be made to it, or you know, based on personal biases and what we've seen in there. Joe Bonamassa should not be in the top ten. <laughs> maybe they should have factored in personality on in on, on that on his case but anyway i'm justin this is atb pop my co-host is noah we'll catch you next time